This is the Lattice Training Podcast, where we bring you the best in climbing performance and training from the world's elite athletes, thought leaders, and coaches. Can you dream big without having the huge modern commercial climbing gyms that you have today? Are you getting the most out of the facilities that you have available, no matter what your goal? In today's podcast, we bring you André Nures, a Portuguese climber who has achieved the magical 9A grade with none of the modern facilities and tools that we have today. This is an episode all about taking things back to basics and how it's possible to achieve a really significant amount in your climbing with actually very little, as long as you look after and pay attention to a few key things. As a brief intro to André, who many of you may not know um, because he's not all over social media and all over YouTube and things like that, um, is that he is a local sport Portuguese climber, um, a legend of his country, and is a guy who's fully on his A game. He's climbed 9A with barely any training facilities. He's become an inspiration for a lot of young climbers in Portugal and has managed really quite an impressive climbing career, all whilst also balancing a family and work as well. So without further ado, I welcome you to the podcast and I look forward to getting chatting today. And I will make an apology straight away to say, I think I probably didn't get the pronunciation of your name right. Sorry. Uh, it's fine. It's, uh, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty close. Andrew was perfect. Uh, Neresh is more like, yeah, Neresh, Andre Neresh. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty close, actually. Yeah, it was nice. Before we started chatting today, I was talking to Teresa in the office, who's one of our staff, and she's from Portugal. And she gave me a 10-minute lesson on how to pronounce your name. And every single thing I said, it was wrong. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It was pretty fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine Teresa teaching you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could definitely. So... The thing that we're going to sort of centralize everything about in this interview today is around this whole concept of how you have achieved really high grades within your climbing career that many people have as kind of like their dream grade to achieve, but all with very, very basic, simple facilities and methods of approaching your own climbing career. But before I kind of get way into that, I just want to ask you to give us a brief sort of highlight of your climbing career so far so from start to finish how many years have you been going what have you achieved you know tell us yeah. a little bit about your climbing career so i started uh back in 2002 um no actually 2001 yeah 2001 so it will be almost 20 years 21 years old so i started the climb um just Casually, just uh, two of uh, neighborhood friends, they do spearfishing and uh, they went to buy gear uh, on a shop that the guy sells also climbing gear. Uh, and he took them for climbing and they were both fast, fat. Uh, so I kind of, we were like, I was 15 and I, I kind of make fun of them saying, you're, you're climbing. And they were like, yeah, yeah. And, but, but you're, you you're a bit fat for that, no? And it was usual at that time where the friends make this kind of fun and they were like, ah, you're skinny, you should come to, to try. You'll see how hard it is. <laughs> and I said, sure, I'm coming. 
And we tried it um, for an artificial wall nearby here in Lisbon. And I got immediately engaged and uh, I could tell people were really excited by how good I was doing. Um, and roughly I started really, really like uh, motivated, kind of like even obsessed. And on the first year, I reached really, from what I see nowadays, even like impressive numbers. Like I did my first seven, eight plus with uh, five months of climbing, two months of two months after, which means seven months of climbing. I was uh, climbing seven C plus. And by the time I like the last days before I was doing one year of climbing, I climbed my first eight A. So that was like skyrocket uh, evolution for the first year. Uh, later that he, that year, I participated on the first competition as a junior. I won all of them. And basically, like I was really, really um, uh, completely ob obsessed by climbing. And it, it, it fulfilled the space in my life that was it, it was I, I loved the thing about the movement. I felt good climbing, but also I really enjoyed as a teenager getting attention from pre people and that I didn't have back at home or at, back at my place and um, feeling that I was good at something. So this became addictive. So basically uh, for the first three years, I like, I, there was not a lot of people climbing, climbing eight great uh, routes in Portugal. Uh, then I kept, uh, I, I kept uh, competing uh, and I don't know, I had a break um in between 2007 and 2009 i started to work i got my driving license and then i got to for parties and nights and stuff so i got i, I load down my my climbing activity a little bit i came back after and yeah i, I like i wanted to climb hard again um i started to travel a little bit more and also at that time i didn't have a place to train so i i had few money from my previous uh, job and and I work I, I opened like a small gym like a climbing gym but like really small and completely orientated towards uh hardcore climbing because it had it had a massive roof it was just more like a, a place where I could train with friends uh and make some money and it worked for two years uh it, it was called boulder area um like the first days people would come and say everything is so hard like I was like, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to climb 8C by the time, you know, so it was already, I never thought as a commercial perspective, to be honest. And then I closed it because um, I got an opportunity to open a, a bigger in com uh, commercial one with a, with a partner. And we closed it because we were about to open the new one. But in the end, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, the new one didn't happen. The location was not available. And also I wanted to close because I was a bit tired of having that commitment and I wanted to climb more. So yeah, that were, that time was when I just had the, like probably so far my more, more, most uh, active years of climbing. I did my first uh, 8 day on site by then and then like first eight season stuff, competitions. Yeah, I did 22 World Cups maybe best of them was like 30th place I, I i it was weird i, I my goal was to ma to make it to semifinals and I, I was never able to do it um and um yeah like already i think i already told a lot but uh roughly so you can have an idea so and what you're saying is true i never had like um a real good facility or even a coach i did two, two uh, training programs 
like, but I, I just uh, did them for like three weeks. Um, one was from Irati Anda, which previous like a former competitor from Spain, and another one from Pachi Pachi Zubiaga. Uh, so I tried those, and but they were just like I don't know too hard for me. Um, keeping the commitment, you know, and the discipline of keeping that it's a lot of suffering man so <laughs> i always trained like kind of trained with friends like having fun you know going to the gym trying boulders with people that was like climbing as much as me or close to it and or more and um and that was like basically my rough story about training or climbing evolution i would say so most people listening will and I did the same as soon as you told me about what you achieved in the first year, I went, wow, that's a lot. I mean, that that's definitely rare. It's not that I haven't come across other people who have achieved similar in the first year. It, it does, it does occur for sure. And there's normally two main reasons for this. And, and sometimes it's like both of the reasons or it's a combination or something like that. One is that either the person just takes a lot of approaches which are really, really beneficial. And together, they all add up to a very, very fast journey through the early years. Or, or it's an and, um, the person comes from another sport beforehand where they operated at a high level. So they're quite well conditioned or they have a very good mindset or they have just a lot of understanding about high level sport and strategy and tactics. So I'm interested to hear about whether either of those two things now you look back at and go do either of those two make sense to you yeah so the way i see it nowadays is was a combined of couple details about the sport yeah i practice always a lot of sports and i was really good at um board sports like skateboard uh like everything that was related to balance and i i had like i had a easy time on that and um also i did uh martial arts a few and also like uh, karate you know so I, I had a friend back then that uh, used to be kind of a coach but not really just followed me it was older and um he, he used to say that it was oh, you, you're a good climber because you had you, you had this background of, of these kind of sports and that, that that makes sense but also the way I see it at that time I had few skills um that were really determinate for what I've done like I would say I had naturally a lot of fingers strained like i was really light uh, for my first when i started climb i remember i my weight was 50 kilos and after one year it was set uh, 60 i gained 10 kilos but of pure muscular mass yeah um so I, it was I, I think finger strength like a lot of uh, balance like a notion of body movement and and really helpful also uh, lots of coordination I've been always very coordinated. So with these things and always and also becoming obsessive about climbing, I remember I would do two, three crags per day, um, like going to one crag in the morning and then going to another one, like, I don't know, 50 kilometers away or more. And then ended up ending up uh, training on the same place. I started, I mentioned that I started the climbing uh, and even like climbing during raining, it was raining and we were so funny. I said, like, let's try the route uh, tripping. Things that 
I would never do nowadays, you know, like I was just so fanatic. I'm the type of person that uh, I usually I'm, I'm getting better and better, but <laughs> I get late to every, everywhere <laughs> I have appointments. And I remember was with climbing the early days, like we set up to be at my door at half past eight. I would just come out the door of my own house and sit on the door at 8 a.m. waiting for half an hour. They're just anxious to anxiously to, to go climbing. So, yeah, that's the way I see it. It was a combination of skills and, and also obviously like uh, some of those skills come from the previous sports I've, I've, I've practiced for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see that, yeah, you, you come from martial arts as well because that's um, my background before climbing was in that. And I always said that it was very useful because especially from flexibility point of view and being able to put my legs in a, a lot of different positions. Yeah. And I personally, for martial arts as well as the, quite a lot of it, if you're involved with actually getting in a ring and fighting, you have some quite useful uh, mental skill sets around understanding threatening positions and turning something which looks really fearful but understanding you can actually control it and you can deal with this so there's a lot of really useful things I think that come from from martial arts but I guess my next question and where this leads me when you were talking about you know some of the building blocks were there and they were really helpful with them for you was if you were to look at that first year and take some of the habits and patterns of things that you did and you would say I would take these two three four things that I did during that first year and I would happily suggest to other friends who are really into climbing and want to go a long way what do you think of the the attitudes or the behaviors that you you completed in that first year which you'd be like yeah I think I think they were good they were beneficial for my progression Sure. Yeah. First, for sure, is motivation, man. Like I was so, so, so motivated. It was like I would like think about climbing the whole day. I was so into it, you know. Um, second, I would say like obviously as a consequence of motivation, I was I was climbing every day I could, like sometimes seven days a week, whatever. Like the amount of climbing was so concentrated that. Uh, in the end was like kind of training, you know, I was learning so much every day uh, through not only training, like physically, but mentally. Uh, and funny thing is that I, I discourage people nowadays of trying really things that they, I don't know why, why do I do this first? But just, <laughs> but uh, I discourage people from trying, for example, a person that climbs uh, around seven C or eight A to try an 8c because it's just so much harder that, it, that maybe they don't get much from it but the truth is that back then i remember when i went my first day of of um of climbing on the rocks because i started climbing i climbed for two weeks only on that artificial wall and then someone took me to the rock um and i remember i i, I didn't care about uh grades i i first day i tried the route i looked at it and i said I want to climb that. And uh, it was a seven B plus. It was like, I was climbing for two weeks and like the guy looked at me and said, really like kind of, you have no chances. And I said, Oh yeah, but I don't care. I want to climb up there. I, I like that route. It, it looks cool, man. I want to try it. And I was so like into it that the guy said, yeah, let's go. So, and I made it to the top of the route um, on top rope, of course. 
And the second day I went, I tried to lead the 7C plus on other places just because I liked the route and I wanted also I was fascinated about also a little bit this this 7C plus should be so hard. You know, I want to see how hard it is. I want to try it for myself. So, yeah, I, I think I didn't have boundaries or limits, you know, I just excited by climbing purely itself. So I think, yeah, maybe these two, three things would be the, 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 the key things that made me evolve so much in, in the first year. Mm. And, and what did you do in terms of the balance of bouldering versus sport climbing and, and route climbing? I'm really interested to hear about that because it sounds yeah. like you did some kind of combination if you were climbing indoors and outdoors. Yeah, so I've always been in my path, like I'm um, more excited about lead climbing. Um, that's how I got started and always is related a little bit with the challenge, with the mental challenge of it. I Usually I say that um, like the satisfaction I get out of something, it's related to how, to the sacrifice it, it, it took me, you know, to how hard it was. So bouldering could be, can be really hard. But in the end, like the whole process usually is much more simple. Like you can grab the holes right there. You can brush them. You can try the moves easier. Like, and, and, and usually it's not as scary as lead climbing. So I, I just naturally always were more like trying to fight my own um, fears or try to surpass myself, you know? So lead climbing was always more, um, my thing but i've done a lot of bouldering as well and um we have a a, a good place next to my like i live in um, like surroundings of lisbon and like 15 minutes from here there's sintra sintra is a really great place you have like over a thousand granite boulders up to 8b plus nowadays and i used to go there a lot not so much right now but i there was a, a season that i spent a lot of time there especially when i was younger i couldn't go uh, I didn't have a driving license, and um, I, I, if I wanted to climb, I had to go with the with, with the with the people with the friends. They want to go there, so I go there, and I still done like lots of good stuff there as well. But and indoors climbing has always been bouldering because we don't have lead gyms so far. Um, this this is about to change in the near future, but so far we didn't. So always like I always see and uh, for the first like. I don't know, 10 years or so, indoors were only for training. There was no like root setting. Like you've been climbing for a while as well. You know how was the concept of indoors. It was not not commercial at all. Like you just go to the gym for training, right? Like today I have fun indoors, you know? Before a session would be fun if there was some nice people to share with boulders. Otherwise, yeah, it would be hard to to keep focused and motivated. Mm. I'd be interested to hear whether you had a similar indoor experience with your climbing in that. Yeah, that's, I suppose what we class as more old school gym, because I mean, I started climbing in. Oh, God, it's going like a, back a long time now. 1996, 1997 or something. And this century, not this century. <laughs> yeah, the wrong century. Oh, my goodness. That that sounds bad, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Anyone listening? No, I must have got the dates wrong. I, I must have started after 2000. <laughs> I can't be that old. Um, yeah, when we used to go indoors, a lot of what we did back then, and I think that was always 
very beneficial to us as climbers in long term and things like technique and creativity is we used to do so many made up problems. We would create challenges. We'd take holds out. We would do the weirdest, wacky, crazy sequences. And I think that was a very, very good thing looking back now. Yeah. So I, I agree that 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 is what we used to call a normal session. No, like we, we did our own route setting every time. And um, also that reminds me something about the first year um, that was interesting. I had this um, a friend that I've mentioned before. He was kind of a coach. He wasn't really an official co- official coach. He was someone that um, a guy that didn't had uh, any child. And he was like in searching of, of someone for this position. Uh, and he, he really like, liked me a lot. So we got like, he, he was, we got this commitment of me doing a lot of things and he helped me for the first two years or so. Um, and one thing he did for the, that period of time is he would never let me come down from, from any route that I would try. And he would never let someone, t- uh, tell me anything about the routes. So every time I would try a route, I, I should get to the top and there was no chit, uh, clip sticks at the moment. And, um, and, and if, if someone in the, at the crack come and say, ah, oh, you grabbed that left crimp, he said, no, shh, don't tell him anything. So, and he, and he was a little bit against chalk. <laughs> it was really old school, but that I, I could beat him. I said, I, man, I, I need chalk. I, can, I must climb with chalk. But what I, what I feel from there was like, it was a massive, um, was so intense that experience. Uh, I nowadays I don't see anyone doing that, or it's very rare. Like climbing without sharing information with others. Obviously, it's 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 not as fun as it it can be, but in the end, it gives you so much more background, so much you're more, so more ready for a lot of experiences. You know, you you find solutions all the time. You're used to go on a dirty route without chalk. And reach the top that's your reality not like i see nowadays a lot on the same places i used to climb that people usually go on the trendy routes the ones that are full of chalk and they have someone to spray beta all the time and they have clip sticks i'm not saying is that's bad i think that's actually makes people climb more like faster and and also it's a lot of fun but it's definitely a a different experience you know in the end i i felt my school my background from from back then was much more complete i would say and yeah that, that reminded me because you were mentioning this the, the sessions inside it was always like that we were root setters kind of all the time we were inventing problems like every five minutes you know say there were there were games like you 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 made up you, you set up a problem i will set up another one and other friends said and we'll make like a friendly competition and then we'll like putting those uh uh, adding movements to roots, uh, whatever it was like always like that. That's why I mentioned that, that was a good session, and and it's it 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 would be fun always to have someone to share with. Otherwise, just by yourself doing uh, things. I I had personally I had a hard time doing that. I lost. I, I it was easy to lose motivation and focus. Mm. Yeah. And how important do you think in your because in your particular situation you were you grow. Growing up in Portugal, you were operating essentially in a in like a silo. It was it was a an 
uh, almost not, I'm not gonna say isolated because Portugal isn't that isolated, but it was a, its own thing that isn't, you know, right in the middle of this big global climbing community and you were operating somewhat on your own. What were the, what were the things that you had to deal with, with not having 20 other people in the climbing community that already climbed 9A before you or loads of coaches or loads of training methods or, or all these other things. What, what was that journey like for you to basically be breaking the ground yourself? So I only felt that um, like from, I would say, 2010 onwards, when I would reach like by 8B plus 8C grade. Until then, I was like, there was a lot of few friends pushing hard and I had lot, like, I didn't have that feeling of being uh, soloing or doing things, pushing limits uh, alone, um, trying to, you know, uh, develop the, the sport right, right here in Portugal. Until then, it was, it was okay. It was like, uh, and still there's a lot of people pushing hard here. So, but, but when, yeah, like the hardest route, when I started to climb in Portugal, there were like one guy that did like 8A on side and 8B red point back then like action direct probably was the hardest route in the world or so mm. um and um and yeah until then it was okay after that what i felt well there are a couple of things happened first of all um one thing that i want to mention is we're kind of isolated but the good thing is that our neighbor country is spain <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm 10 hours driving away from catalonia so that that kind of saved my life, my climbing life, because I've traveled so many times to Catalonia. And this is where I started, like 2010, 2012. I really spent a lot of, started to, to travel in the upcoming years. I spent a lot of time. I Eventually, when I did Estado Critico, that year I spent four months in in, in Catalonia, in, in Cornudella area, like Margalevs, Huron, and everything. Um so it wasn't really always like that, being in Portugal alone, trying projects. But after doing some hard routes or doing the seasons in, in, in Spain, yeah, in, back in Portugal, it was a time when um, a couple of cracks um, were bolted. The first was Mango, because we have like, I don't know, we have multiple sectors, like one hour range driving around Lisbon. Very lots of diversity of rock and, and climbing types, but um, for hardcore climbing, there was not a lot of things like uh, in, in Fenda, which is the biggest one and the most famous, the hardest route still 8B. And I've done it by the time, so I gotta like quickly run out of routes on the majority of the crags around Portugal. So Mango showed up, Mango is a crag um, down the south of the river. And there was a friend that bolted um, 50 routes in two months. And that for like period of two to three years or so, I had like lots of projects to try. Like there were, they got, it was, uh, he had an injury on his back. Actually, he had already quit climbing by the time, but he was really motivated. So he just bolted a lot and he was a good bolter. So I had like, I don't know, 30 projects to try, you know, in between, 70 plus to whatever, 80, 90, whatever. Still, there are some to do. So that kind of 
that that's more related to what you're saying. I felt that that moment that was pushing a lot uh, by my, on, on my own. It eventually happened to me that I sent 18C for an example. Uh, it took me like three weeks or so or two weeks to send it. I've done it. And then it got repeated, repeated like um, maybe two years later by two friends that found like a massive Gaston in between the heart section it downgraded to 8B like nothing to do another route, you know, like it seemed another route because of trying alone. I couldn't see that sequence. So yeah, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, and then later I, I found a new crag next to this crag, um, Atlantida. It's, it's, it's becoming more and more famous nowadays. It's all of the thing is that they are, these are sea cliffs. They're really on top of what, of the water. And sometimes you get caught by the waves or, like a typical issue is humidity. So there are really a lot of conditions. I would say you can climb decently one third of the year. Okay. The other, like the, the other third, the conditions are okay. And the last third, like the conditions are terrible. It's like completely wet. Um, so yeah, all of this, yeah, it's what I feel more related for what you to what you're saying, like trying to to push hard, you know, uh, by on my own, but also I, I also this happened to me because at some point I decided I uh, wanted to get better and better, and I that's by the time I started to travel to Catalonia, it, it was a different reality because back here, like people were trying eight 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 B and and. And you know, like you have these references around you when you climb with, with people or on a certain level, it's 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 your reality. It's what you what you have your standards. And when I started to travel to Catalonia and climbing with a lot of like strong people, my standards got really much higher. So there were people I was living with uh, Felix Neumarker hmm. and um, Alize, and like Felix was trying nine A's every day. So like. It, it was e easy. It was normal to go on the crag and just try hard routes. So like my reality, my notion of, of, of reality changed so much. I felt that when I come back to Portugal and I would say to my strong friends, that I consider like almost as strong as me or some of them in few, few things are even stronger. And I would say, man, let's try this new project. It should be, I don't know, between eight or 9A. And they were like, no, oh, no, no, no. Uh, this way too hard, and and I could really tell that their mindset, their limit, their mental limits were way lower than mine. You know, so I had this experience, um, kind of mixed experience in between feeling like that in Portugal, but also being in the uh, Catalonia reality and Spanish reality of lots of people pushing hard. You know, and really hard, like lots of routes to try. Yeah. yeah. I think this this touches on a concept which I I often try and explain to either people that I'm working with or I sometimes write social media posts about it is this thing that you often become a reflection of the people or the place that you're hanging around at or with so if you want to climb yeah if, if you want to climb really hard boulders I pretty much promise anyone if you hang out with very high-end boulderers for a year your bouldering grade will just go up because you'll see their attitude you'll absorb their motivation and their psych you'll see the methods they use you'll see how they project things 
you'll see how you just see all the details. And when you see it in front of your face, one, it seems very accessible because it just seems more normal. And two is you just start to copy because we all tend to copy the people that are around us. And it's a surprisingly effective habit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I remember when the first reality check I had about this was um, 2004. I went on like our second World Cup or third World Cup in Valence in France. And where I met a good friend, Nico, Nico Favres, uh, for the first time. Um, but it was not about them at that time. Um, we, we competed. I did terribly. I don't know, like, I don't know, like 10 from the last place or so. And there was like an after party, like, a, or a party of the, com- of, of the competition. And this was inside a gym called uh, Mineral Espirit. And there was Francois Legrand. And it's still back in 2004, it was... I think he placed third or second on this competition with Alex Chabot and Ramon. Um, and uh, we were like campusing. And I was doing so much better than him. And he would look at me and said, you're so strong. And I was like, ah, no, you're really strong. And I was like, what what place did you get in the competition? And I said, really bad. Like, I don't, I don't remember, but from the last ones. And he was like, did you use your feet? <laughs> and I said, yeah, man, I did. But, you know, like I was so naive, so inexperienced, like I, I, I would go into the route so, so nervous and everything. But the thing about this was I was there with him. I, I, I could see he only has like 10 fingers like me, you know, like he's a human being. He's like he has his weaknesses and his strong points. So he wasn't something that when we start climbing, we look at the magazines or so, or, or nowadays the website, they look like gods, you know, like we would never do some stuff that, I don't know, super strong climbers would do. But in the end, it's possible for almost everyone, I would say. Like, uh, And when you have that reality check, when you have you get to climb with some of them, you'll, you'll eventually do better in, in some stuff than then. And then that brings you confidence and brings you, yeah, I can do this. I can do this as well, for sure. So yeah, it's it's related for from what you're saying that 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 you start to absorb your surroundings. So yeah, yeah, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? And that comes back to that confidence and mental game and mindset that often is a big part of climbing, especially when you're approaching your own limits, and it's no longer just you know just put the effort in and you see the next improvement you're starting to reach your own physical potential and now you're trying to find other ways to make improvements yeah and i think it's always hard for everyone that this stuff i don't ever think it's written down so much and it's not as hard to understand not sorry it's not as easy to understand the concepts because it's really easy for someone to understand the concept of go and do 147 on a campus board and do it twice a week for three months and you might see gains in power or finger strength, for example, it's really hard to explain to someone, put yourself into a zone of ever so slight discomfort and push this and then reflect at the end of the session and think, what did I learn from this? And then have that conversation with someone who's a little bit better than you. And they just keep mentoring you through that process. It's so hard to describe it. it. Yeah. 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 It's so hard to write it down into like, understand it and see the, the real result result of that when you put that in practice mm. so a question i have about 
again being in a an isolated situation and going into that sort of world stage and international competitions and international rock climbing scene and everything like that i think this is quite a common and relatable uh, situation for lots of people i've trained a few youth athletes for example who live way away from everything else like they have they're in a small town or village there's maybe no climbing wall or one climbing wall there's no other good climbers and then they want to be one of the best climbers in the country or they want to do internationals and things what do you think are the most important things to do to help battle that disadvantage i guess to become more rounded or more internationally competitive like if you could go back into the past and give yourself the perfect thing to sort that out what would what would you give to yourself well yeah first uh, i think um obviously the mindset you have is fundamental like if you keep um thinking for yourself there you're in a massive disadvantage then you'll be like it, it will be your reality it won't help so for sure the mindset that you need is 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 really yeah um don't think about that think about think on the opposite way but also like from from my situation i i i i'm pretty confident that i i've could have like i don't know i have the skills to i've climbed with a lot of really strong people and i have a lot of like i would say i have the skills to make it to world cup finals or so i i have what had back then uh, i don't say i'm i'm 36 now i don't say it's impossible still but it's not as 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 easy as it was at when i was 20 but i i still think that um i needed to spend like full seasons um around these people and around these facilities you know that's what i that's that, there's no way around it like um for from my point of view you know like you need to be in the the place to be um for training you for competitions and everything because I don't know, like, especially from youth, I only got the chance to climb as a, as a, on the, as an adult. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of this happening. I, I've, I've, I've been climbing a lot with um, Alberto Gines yeah. because Alberto is, uh, is from Cáceres. Cáceres is in Extremadura, which is like the, the closest part um, of Spain to Portugal. And he's like home crack is is Portinho like the, the the nearest place they have like decent for climbing is here so I remember Alberto coming with his with his father Alberto as well and the whole uh Spanish team that they always go around together like with 10 years like little kid and um and I remember like um even like his first 8a I put the the, the quick draws and tell him the, the the moves in in Margalefia I was climbing there by this like 2012 2013 and we we met there and it was like his father, can you help Albert to find an 8A to try? And I said, yeah, sure, let's go. I'll put draws and everything. So I have a really good and deep connection with him. And I remember as soon as he started to um, do this lifestyle of being in comp venues and training with, uh, with the, the right people, and um, he started to win his first competitions, and then he gained, he gained like confidence and... and, and um, just yeah, yeah, confidence and and uh, how do you say, uh, being um, all, always 
like make it to the semifinals and then making it again, like, uh, and then making it again. And so keeping that confidence. Um, well, he eventually started to win his first youth cups and then the, 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 the jump for the, the, like the general, um, uh, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like the adult, uh, yeah. Adult category. Yeah. It was like, so natural, you know, because he would train with some of the adults that you already know that makes finals and win. So it's the same principle as we were talking before. Like if you have the chance to be around, just go for it. Like be, be in the places like uh, to be. Um, but there's always like stories like uh, Dimitri Sharafutinov that used to world uh, win World Cups, Boulder World Cups, training in his home wall was really bad and, and, and small. And it's inspiring in the end. But uh, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, for me, it would it would have been different if I had like the chance to travel a lot and be doing the full season of competitions. I needed to make the errors and then one, once do it well. So that keeps on my mind so I can keep the confidence saying, breaking that barrier, you know, saying, yeah, I can make it to the semis. Even if I don't make it, next, I know it's possible. So we will keep doing and doing and improving, improving. It's the same as when I've done my first 8A on site. It was like, it was crazy. I was be, I would be doing like seven out of 10, 70 plus on site. As soon as I tried an eight day, I got nervous, you know? Even if I try not to be, it was, would be a big thing on my mind, breaking that barrier. When I did the first one, I started to do a lot, lots of them, you know? So, yeah. And this comes with experience and with, um, yeah, I think that's it. Mm. I, I do think there's actually a, a bit of a, there's definitely the disadvantages that go with it, but I think there's two main advantages, in my opinion, for climbing and training in a very basic environment. And like you just, you know, referenced with uh, Dimitri is that, and I've been through this exactly the same process with the training that I've done for crack climbing over the years in the cellar. I, me and Pete have trained for 10 years in the most horrible, basic setting ever. It's very, very rough. And I've seen your uh, bridge boys like a few weeks ago. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know the the reason why I think it's successful is that one, I think it allows you to really focus because you don't have other distractions there. It's it's very focused, and you put your effort into one very particular thing. And generally, for athletes, I think if they are good at focusing in whatever the areas they are, they tend to produce results. And then secondly is that with that very yeah like basic setup is that your expectations your personal expectations are actually set very low and conservative you're like the underdog and you go well i've got the worst facility in the world for this thing it's so bad and it means that whatever you then go and do or try and aim for it often surprises you because you had a very low baseline. So you don't do this thing of going, well, I've got a world-class facility and I'm training out Innsbruck. So it's pretty logical that I would be very, very good here. And I think those two things are particularly helpful. Um, and I've certainly experienced that over the years that underdog syndrome, very, very powerful and very beneficial and focus. It's just so, so powerful. I can relate to that. I kind of felt that, on the early years, you know, until I, I 
I was gaining confidence more and more and more. But what I mean is like, probably that's really great for, for an example, yeah, for those early years. But then after, like, it's, it always, it's, I would say like, you, it's, it's easier to have like better facilities, you know, because then you, you need to, I don't know. I think in terms of motivation, it, it didn't work out to me for like a long period of time, you know, then I would need more. So, because I'm not that, um, I have friends that were really disciplined, like really going for it and having the the habit of training by themselves and like doing all the sessions correctly and like and they would prefer to do them by to do it alone and and focus on their own training. I just yeah, it didn't. It, I don't know. It didn't work out to me. I'm I'm a diff, I don't know. I think it, it's related to the type of person you are in the end a little bit. And I've met people. Uh, along the way that I would say are a bit like me, like um, they need to be pushed by others. I would say they need this to share of motivation, you know? Um, I remember like meeting uh, Jakob Schubert for the first times uh, competing and he wasn't like doing so well as he, he's doing right now. And I remember like he commenting on, on David Lama uh, because at that time Lama was winning a lot of competitions. It was a short period that he competed and he was doing really well. And Jakob was like commenting saying, I the trainings I do always better than him. And uh like all the time. But then they got to the competitions and Lama was much better at that moment. And then Lama start stopped competing and Jakob raised so much. But uh, that gave to me that feeling of you know, he was being pushed by Lama. He was like, um, you know, if it wouldn't be Lama, probably Jacob at that moment wasn't, um, I don't know, like teased so much and aiming like, you know what I mean? So is this also this kind of feelings that um, I think at the, for some time, I, I also need them, you know? Yeah. And when you, when you were going through your journey from sort of 8b plus or so up to 9a and where you're combining essentially quite high levels of bouldering ability it's you know we're not talking about doing things on a font 7a plus 7b crux um you're talking about a much higher level intensity but you also have to have a fitness parameters everything pulled together at a high end what for you given that you had a relatively tr- basic training setup what are you what's the key training tools or methods or approaches that you took to get you to that level because i know you didn't go super complicated no so first i'm I'm, yeah um mentioning that is i i always um been like the type of climber that opposite for an example for nico i've discussed this with nico a lot nico is like the type of climber that's like um slow fiber climbing like he's like really lots of endurance and when he falls on the route it's because the move is too hard it's not because he's really tired and i'm the other way around i get tired really fast usually i get the hard sections until a point it, it was really rare that i tried the route at the first time and i couldn't do a single move it was really rare most of the times i would do the the moves if not at first like two or three tries of trying that specific move, I would do them on my first go on the route. So, and then I would fall because I was really tired. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, uh, I think 
explanation for that is like your fast uh, fiber type of muscle. Uh, I was always been good at explosive moves, coordination, like jumping. And, and also for that reason, um, I think like for an example, for my first like route, like, like a Estado Critico, um, I just, well, I tried, I didn't really have an added method, you know, back then I was, I started to try the route and give it tries. I would just be more specific about the days, the amount of days that I would try, the amount of tries as well. Cause I always been like a lot of bad feelings on my climbing. I, I, I didn't want to give like five or six tries on the route per day, even though I think it would be a benefit in terms of physically resistance or whatever. But then the last tries, I would I would get bad feelings, you know, I get bad memories. Like the the moves would feel harder. Maybe I would like not passing through some sequences that I usually should pass. So I didn't want it to grab those emotions. So I learned this really soon. Like I I needed to make the root all white in my head. That's that's a weird concept. But when I started the climb. I imagine the route as a single straight line, vertical line. And there was like all the, the areas of the route that are solved in my mind that I solve, I can solve them are in white. And if there's an area that I can't uh, for any reason understand or, or solve, it would be a dark area. And then even kind of like you have two or three dark areas on a single route. So the first exercise would like, put everything white, put everything clear on your mind for, for that line. So for that, um, yeah, I would more be like trying the, the enough uh, amount of times per day. I would be doing like three, one, two, one, three, one. Okay, so three climb, climbing days, one uh, uh, rest day, and then like this, never more than three and in, interrupt with two days only from time to time. Nowadays, I only do two one because <laughs> I can't handle <laughs> three a lot. Also, I would like to, um, I always, I, I love, like one thing that I really love is on-site climbing. Like people always love to mention, like uh, it's always nice to mention, like you climb 9A or whatever, because it's the hardest grade. But I really, I think I'm more proud of doing several eight B's on site then rather than just nine A because I, I I give this concept to a lot of people saying you can try a hard route for as much as you can and then claim that you you've done it. But on site, it's on site, man. Like if you really climb you, you can tell like if someone is a really good climber by their on site level. So that's where also I would like every day that I was trying the project, I would like to try something on site hard as well if I had the chance. So like warm up uh a, a really hard on-site try and then uh, go for for the project, usually like two times a day, not much more than that. So give me a second. Yeah. By that time, I was like um, really stable, like living in, um, in, in Catalonia. And I would like, I needed to, to stay fit. So I, I, I remember I was like really eating well. <laughs> uh on um i remember not not eating dinner too late uh, and i would do like two, twice a week running um on the morning like at 7 a.m i would run like 10 or 12 kilometers around the lake of sirana 
yeah. without eating on how you say fasting you know like uh, yeah. yeah without breakfast because i just wanted to be more um lightweight for it so this was the strategy and uh as you can see it was not like <laughs> very complex <laughs> and uh it came down that i sent the route like um one month and a half after the first tries but the curious thing and there's a video about this this whole process it was that um i after the third week of trying on the route i had fell on the last move sending and i so i called a friend of mine that i was doing these movies for my for a sponsor that i that i had um and i said you can come i'm close to send the route and then it took me like five weeks more to send the route because I got really a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah, it was a process that I wasn't expecting. It was an interesting experience and much harder than the route itself, to be honest. You know, just the fact that I had the pressure to do it because of uh, sponsors, because of the people who were involved, like trying to trying no they wanted to record the 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 accent and um and yeah like i had my family there as well so it was like i had a friend uh, so just to give you uh, uh how, how it was uh, i had a friend there was really really good friend he, he was living in spain but he's portuguese he still lives there and uh he was just there like he was not excited for climbing and just was just delaying he wanted to follow up the process and then I had like two friends that came from Portugal. They were both camera uh, guys. And so every try, they would uh, um, go up on a rope to, to, to put themselves in position to record. Uh, and then I had my family. So my wife and two daughters there. So we, they, they all were waiting for me to do the route. <laughs> so it, I didn't do it right away. So it, from, with the time, it became a lot of pressure. It was, uh, yeah intense uh, experience yeah yeah i mean pressure and everything like that that definitely has a um significant effect on um yeah how you do, get on with things especially kind of hard red points and and, and i guess on sighting as well and in in relation to that question around on sighting that you just talked about and how you're really passionate about it it'd be cool to hear what your views and opinions are on the differences of either skill or strategy between on-sighting and red pointing and what what you think if if you were to say to someone um who's really interested in focusing on on-sighting next year and that's really their big goal they want to on-site their first 8a for example what would be the things that you would say you should go away and do this sort of stuff or put these kind of things in place Yeah, so for me personally, it was like the, um, also the breaking of barriers, mental barriers. Um, and, and obviously, there's, there are no way around it. You need meters. You need a lot of meters. You need to have like a, a background of movement in your head and uh, big enough and experience. So, um, yeah, and I, I love on-site climbing also because in the end, I don't, you don't think too much of it. You you kind of plan the route. You you do the vis your visualization. You look at it. You imagine, but then once you're there, you just you <laughs> there's limited time. You just need to go. You just need to move, and uh, you need to make the right decisions. Otherwise, that's it. So, I usually 
tend to be more uh, going with the amuerte feeling. You know what I mean? Like I'm going, I push way harder on side or that I, I, I don't know. I, I have less pressure, less commitment in my mind at moment. So I can give much more and feel that I can give much more. And that feeling is amazing. Um, I, I, I know that are people that are the other way around. They like, they can like do more when they have everything sorted out while trying a route. I don't know. I, it, 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 to me, it is like that, but I would say in the end, it, it's a bit of numbers. Like you just need to have a solid basis of your previous grade in order to, to advance to the other one, but also it would be helpful to generate good feelings. I mean, try things are a bit harder than you could do and surprise yourself, you know, with, with no limitations, like, okay, I want to try a day on site, but I can, it, I'm not forbidden of trying a couple of 8A plus on site and, and, and surprise myself, see how, how good I do. And then put the 8A as a, like in a relative perspective saying, this is even easier, you know, like I, maybe I could actually do this right away. Um, also understand the types of climbings. Like there are clearly routes that are much more insightable than others. Uh, so I, for an example, I, I, my first on sites were like really steep, long and stamina routes, right? Because they're typically the routes that you can read better. You, there, you can commit more mistakes because they don't have really hard sequences and then start with those ones and then like uh, do harder ones. In, in, I mean, harder for on site, the same grade, but a bouldery route or more like, um, slabby route would be much, usually much harder for on-site so yeah start with the ones that are more uh, on-site friendly i would say uh and uh even i don't know sometimes like try to flash a route first in, instead of on-site from the same grade so you can see that you can do it on the first go it's not a matter of physical uh, limitations or whatsoever it's just a matter of finding the right moment like you're going on the route and everything goes well that's it it's not much more than that i would say yeah i i, I would say i agree on on all of those points um and probably the one thing that i would kind of add in just to be particularly uh, what's the word pointed about this this thing to kind of highlight to people and and it's it's in relation to the last comment you made there um is if you want to so like, you know, not going on slabs, for example, because they may well be the, the hardest hold to spot, really difficult sequences to read and things like that, is also that if you want to do your on-site stuff, learn your rock types as yeah. well. There's a big, big difference to spending five years climbing just on limestone and knowing that climbing style and being able to nearly on-site your first 8A, for example. And then if you go on a trip to somewhere that has sandstone, don't expect to be able to nearly on-site or on-site 8A on sandstone when you haven't climbed for five years in that rock type. Yeah. There's a very specific element to movement yeah. skill set with rock type. True, true. Completely true. I agree there. Um, or even sometimes the opposite. You can like be um, five years climbing on, on, on uh, granite on really technical stuff and then go to limestone and just get a couple of days used to it get make your the transfer of if your 
your skills to it and then you'll do it much easier because it's much easier to climb i would say like for on siding no yeah i mean that, that's nearly a controversial com comment there to say that uh granite granite climbers produce excellent technicians who find limestone easy um <laughs> well i don't know we, we don't have this thing well it's not we i don't have this thing about uh granite climbers or limestone climbers i can just consider myself a climber i enjoy climbing a lot in different styles you know uh i just i don't know it's not um it's not so much as the type of rock in the end it would be more the type of climbing i would say mm. you know? um i've done like pretty hard stuff on site like 8a's or 80 plus slabs <laughs> that are on limestone but in the end i consider them as much as hard as other roots in granite or whatever you know on sandstone like because they're like more slab more technical more weird stuff so yeah it's not i don't know yeah well last last kind of question and topic that i wanted to kind of finish off with today um and i wanted to ask you specific specifically about this is it and this is a this is a quote um that uh today sir from work gave me um mm -hmm. and this was a, and i think i'm quoting you correctly on this that you say if your dream doesn't scare you then it's not big enough what yeah. does this mean like can you describe this for people listening yeah like um the the, the sentence is not i didn't made up the sentence is uh, uh i think it's pretty common but i i i heard from it and i i completely um understand it and what it means to me is it, it's it's a bit related to challenging you and also leave your comfort zone uh so um your goals like if they're they don't scare you if don't they don't make you like shake a little bit so maybe they're not really challenging you you know like there are goals that you're sure that you can reach still like decent goals but you should be like uh leaving the comfort zone from from time to time like doing some stuff that really will make you feel proud of yourself uh, that looking back saying man i i was not really believing that I could do this kind of thing. And that will make you feel really, really satisfied, happy and, and proud. Uh, so yeah, from this sentence, <laughs> this is what I feel from it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I've I, I done a, like a recent story on Instagram and that's where Teresa picked that line <laughs> because I still have like a few projects and few goals. Um, I would love to really like, I never made this kind of public in, in public in terms of our, our community here uh, or even my friends uh, outside of Portugal that I have the desire of doing this. Um, there's three routes that I really would like to do. Uh, it's I don't think they're like seen as much as a triology, but uh, at least I, I see it. I see them like that. And it is uh, La Rambla, um, Papichulo and Biografi. Um, I love those three roots they become over the years like icons uh, for for my generation i would say there's so many hard roots around nowadays you know i could choose like uh, so many but i don't know I, I just stick to these three um because they look uh, like really <laughs> amazing um and it's they're 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 scary to me um 
I'm pretty sure I can do 90 plus. I have no doubts about it. Uh, the only doubts is, is if, if, if I have the conditions to do them, you know, if I can be able to be uh, taking the, the time necessary to do them and uh, to be fit enough uh, to do them. And for that, I need certain conditions. I need time. I need uh, uh, also will and my, my, my investment of, of, of money and uh, all the conditions. So yeah, that's because of that, I need to, to prove it to myself. Because one thing is that you know that you can do them. Other thing is that actually doing it, it's, it's <laughs> obviously it starts with knowing that you can, right? Like uh, believing, but it's not, not, not enough just believing. You have to, it happened to me with the 9A, you know? Uh, at some point in, during my, my climbing journey, I wasn't, I, I, I would never say I would climb 9A to be honest, it, it seems so distant, like so far. And um, with, with, the, with the time and doing harder and harder stuff, like you realize, well, I, I got here. I, ha I have more to, to, to give. I, I can do better than this. Um, and yeah, so I, I felt 9A was not my limit. It was not what I could do because I saw the amount of investment and effort I put in and I could do better than that. And like skill wise, I have, I have enough to do better. So yeah, that's a, a, probably my biggest goal for now. I, I don't know after that probably will be 9B. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's the regular uh, path that one would take, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, mega. Well, uh, it's been, uh, it's been great chatting today and uh talking about cool. these sort of things it it gets it always gets me psyched when also i i chat to other climbers who have you know gone back to basics and done things with you know a slightly different approach and i always really appreciate that i like people who see things in maybe a slightly different way or have a slightly different background into their climbing um and um i'm sure that people uh, listening will be interested to know you know once they've listened to this a bit more about your your climbing watch some of your videos um you mentioned about a film that you'd um made uh doing the project where can I, I don't even know actually know the name of the film so one would be what's the name of the film and where can they search that and then two also where can they find you on social channels and things like that okay so uh the film is uh, the road but you change um, the O for a, for a nine. So it will be a nine A inside the road word. Okay. Uh, and, but you need to put uh, Andre Neres before that. Otherwise it will show you of, I think another movie called the road probably. <laughs> so you just put Andre Neres the road and it will find out on Google. And I think it's on Vimeo. Um, and uh, my social media, I'm, Andre Neres, just uh, with the last E, it will be a three instead of an E. Okay. So, yeah, I also have like there on my, on my Instagram profile, I have a small clip from the last 9A I've done uh, here in Lisbon, actually the, uh, the only one around this area. Uh, it's just as much smaller like video. It has like uh, five minutes. And um, yeah. Like I have lots of stuff online still. Like it just I don't have them all condensed in one one area. Like uh, 
have multiple clips. If you find one, it's easy to find the others. Like start with this uh, from the Estado Critico. I believe that would that that's the most interesting one because it really shows the the whole process. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of it, it. It was not the best production. It was the first production of my friend. Like uh, really, one of my best friends is a climber as well. He started his mu movie company, a video company with this project. Actually, <laughs> he became professional later. Um, and yeah, it was um, it was a really great uh, small movie. That I think it's the most viewed in Portugal. It's like I don't know how many views, but even was shared by um, some really really strong people in the u.s i don't remember right now but yeah you google it and and you'll find it it's, it's nice okay cool well, well we'll put some links in the show notes as well um for yeah. people to be able to go and find those things um so yeah i'm sure people will be interested in going and check it, checking those out can't can't beat a good video for some some psych as well <laughs> it will be it will be i believe i i from time to time if i forget I, I, I don't usually see it. I've seen it like a few times only, but sometimes I remember I should just, uh, look at it again because it will motiva motivate me as well. I remember like I was process. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for today and um, we will speak again soon. Thank you, Tom.